You're listening to Sacks in the Basement, a production of the Broadcast Basement Limited, where every show is 30 minutes of good and comes from a basement bar on the south side of Chicago. Pull up a stool, pour a cold one, and join us right now for Sacks in the Basement. Heard everywhere podcasts can be found and always at SacksInTheBasement.com. Remember to subscribe to Sacks in the Basement. You don't want to miss an episode. If you're listening to us on another website other than SaxInTheBasement.com or through one of the many podcast players, pretty much any podcast app, you can tell Alexa, hey, play Socks in the Basement, Apple Podcasts, Spotify, iHeartRadio, you name it, we're on it. Subscribe, don't miss an episode. That's how you don't lose track of the podcast for fans by fans. Socks in the Basement, all brought to you by Family Waterproofing Solutions. For bowing walls, window wells, foundation and crack repairs, sump pumps, gutter cleaning. It's that time of year, man. Even though it's going to be warm the next couple of days, fall is right here. And pretty soon, leaves will be in the gutter. They're going to take care of that for you as well. Why? Because that's another way that water can get into your home. And they're all about keeping your home dry. Your basement, your house, your foundation. That's your most important thing. It costs an awful lot of money. You don't want to ruin it and have to fix it later. But if you do fix it, Family Waterproofing Solutions is the place to go to. Family and veteran owned and operated since they started in 2013. You get a deep discount if you mention Socks in the Basement. 24-7, give them a call at 708-330-4466. See what a difference a family makes at FamilyDry.com. So do I have to dig a tunnel to get to the homemade nine-foot oak bar in your basement? Because I can't get here using streets, sidewalks, people's lawns. I had to go through someone's living room to walk into your house today, sit down here, and talk 30 minutes of White Sox baseball for you. It's crazy right now. In, in the section of Evergreen Park that I'm at, um, and you, seriously, folks, you you wouldn't believe this. They are ripping up sidewalks, streets, curbs. They're like doing this whole like like rejuvenation project for this section of the village, and they're doing it all at once. So like yesterday, some guy shows up and just starts cutting into my sidewalk where the where the driveway goes across it. Well, my car is in the driveway. And I have to run out there and stop this guy with this massive saw that just cuts concrete. And I'm like, dude, you could have knocked on the door and told me that you were going to do this. Let me get the car out real quick. And I knocked at a neighbor's door and we got our cars out. Next thing you know, there's just like a big ditch in front of the house. That's it. I mean, like if I wouldn't have been home and I wouldn't have said, what is that weird noise going out in front of the house? I would have never known they were going to tear up the front of my house today. I had no idea. I watched a neighbor drive across his neighbor's lawn. Two doors down, like think of like those typical south side neighborhood streets, you know, you've got uh, the front yard, the sidewalk, you got that little section that's in between the sidewalk and the city street that's really not yours, but you still have to cut the lawn. And this guy drives across the, the parkway, act- yeah, right. He drives across the actual property of two neighbors to find a section where there's a large enough spot in between trees on that little section of grass here between the sidewalk and the street and then drives over the curb just to get his minivan out in the middle of the day. It's it's Armageddon <laughs> okay, right well, now. that works. It's absolute Armageddon where I live. It's it's insane. I'm glad you made it I here. No, it is. It is. I, I, I literally thought, well, first I thought maybe you're just building a moat, right? <laughs> because you don't want haters coming after you. Oh, there's haters. But then the other the other thought I had was, um, you're worried that Tony LaRusso is going to come back and manage the podcast. There's so many people right now. I think right now there's this weird contingent of White Sox fans that really are haters. Like, I had some guy engage me on Facebook this week after our episode came out who was really mad that I suggested that Tony La Russa was a problem this year and that he shouldn't come back. Like, it was an insult to this hero of men 
that he shouldn't come back and be the manager of the White Sox. Like, you know, anytime you see a poll and overwhelmingly like 92% of people agree with what you say, there's always that 8% that sniffs glue and they're out there. They don't have anything to say right now, though, because it's very hard to argue with results. I mean, look what this team just did. They went and did that makeup game. And this is the one where they never did anything with the field. It was pouring. It was a swamp. It was, there was no effort from what I could see to try to get that game in. That was the makeup game where we should have taken two out of three. And you got two out of three because you won a must-win game. And that was a must-win game. Let me tell you something right now. Ed purposefully waited to get over to my house to do this show because I said there's no need to do this in the middle of the afternoon. Let's wait till the game is over and get together because the whole season hinges on this. If they lose, it's over. And it really would have been over. You could have sat there and tried to convince people on the telecast, oh, you still have, uh, you know, everything's still in your hands. You're still in control of your own destiny. Like, try to come up with some weird math problem. You would have fallen way back with not very many games left. And that would have been a punch in the teeth. Plus, you lose the tiebreaker as well. Remember, there's no game 163 here. And if you lose one more game to the Indians, they get the tiebreaker. You might as well add another game on to how many games you're back. So you're three back right now after beating the Indians. If you sweep them in this last series you have, that's awesome. You get the tiebreaker. That means if you tie them and you gain those three games on them, you're in first place, right? So that's incredible. The problem is lose one, lose one game, and you can also add one more game on to whatever it says is how many games you are back from first place because a tie goes to them. This is a new thing with this playoff setup, and I don't know if everybody's grasped this yet. So we really do have to win every time we play Cleveland and twins all the way, baby. I might go get a twins hat to root for them every time they play the Guardians because they need to beat them every single time they play them. I agree with you. I'm a huge twins fan because I do think, and I and I took I took a little umbrage with this. I I'm watching the game. Jason and Steve are on the mic, and they, they said something earlier on in the game, this time of year, being in control of their own destiny. They aren't, because the Guardians have two games that they haven't played. They are they The Sox have played two more games to this point, so they're three back right now, four back in the loss column. If the Guardians win those two games that they have to still play to even up with the Sox in terms of number of games, they the Sox would truly be four back. And then if you don't get that tiebreaker, you're right, you're five back, right? So you need the Twins, you need the Guardians to stumble and have a bad end of the season against Minnesota primarily. I mean, that's 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 the, the team that could really wreck this. And it's weird because we are. We're going to have to sit here and we're going to have to be Minnesota fans. And you, you need all the help you can get. You really need a very young Cleveland team. And remember, they're the young up-and-coming team. The Sox are now the veteran team. Not be able to seal the deal and close this thing out where you need the White Sox to have that veteran steadiness. The Jose Abreu, Lance Lynn, who came up big today, Elvis Andrews, who continues to come up big. You need to have these veterans continue to steady the ship and and get these guys to a point where they can they can hold the line and continue to win games and have the chance to still salvage the season. So the Twins can put you in control of your own destiny. They can win. And if they start beating up on the Guardians and you continue to win, all of a sudden that will happen and that will be true. And that's what you need at this point. Like this is like the most guarded you could be as a fan. Like you want to be excited, but I, I'll be honest with you. I watched the game against Cleveland while I was doing other things because I knew that the only good result was you're still in it, but you could have a bad result and your season just ended. 
there was a, a bigger letdown possibility than reward because even winning the game, you still have a lot more work to do and you're running out of time. And this goes back to why the White Sox were stupid not to get rid of their manager earlier in the season, like say maybe the Blue Jays who are right in the thick of things right now. This is why that would have made more sense to do earlier in the year. If you would have replaced him just with his bench coach, look at what the bench coach was able to to do. And we're going to have James Fegan on here in moments, and he's been covering it, traveling with the team, going into the locker room, doing the press conferences, all this other stuff like that. And he's gotten some great quotes recently. And you can tell this team responds so much differently to Miguel Cairo than Tony La Russa. And, and so that's something we're, we're definitely going to get into today with James. This is Socks in the Basement, found anywhere podcasts can be found and always at SocksInTheBasement.com. I'm hoping that in the final weeks of this season, when I look at the schedule and I see these home games that are coming up and I still got tickets for a few more games already in the back pocket because of the season ticket plan, that we're all partying and watching this team do something improbable and come back after it looked like it was over. And I, any moment now, I just keep waiting for this to crash down on me. But until it does, Cork and Carry at the park is the place to be pregame, postgame, during viewing parties. Uh, a 33rd in Princeton, Shadow of the Ballpark, award-winning menu of burgers and ballpark favorites. And our good friends over at Hailstorm are now on tap over there. I just saw that. Saw that. Yeah. They're on tap there, yeah. Socks in the basement bringing people together. It was, it was such an easy thing to kind of figure out. Like, hey, the brewery that's on Socks in the Basement with the official home of Socks in the Basement, Cork and Carry at the park. It makes perfect sense to me, and it seems to have made sense to them. They have a great rotation of craft beers, including Hailstorm. They've got familiar favorites. Spirits, wines, and they've just got a great atmosphere, especially if you want to bring the kids, the whole family beforehand. If afterwards you want to party, it's more adult, you know, you get in there, indoor, outdoor. I'm so happy that Socks in the Basement and Cork and Carrie at the park are together. And we've been that way now for the last couple of years. And it is just the most fun to be out there and bump into people. And I hope that we have an awful lot of bumping into people coming up at big moments here in the next couple of weeks. Yeah, let's do some October bumping too. That'd be good. Let's bump into James Fegan. Joining us here on the phone line, James Fegan from The Athletic, writes great articles, uh, really covers the team extremely well, and we're lucky enough to have him on this program. How are you, James? I'm all right. Uh, another day of still covering a team in the playoff chase. Uh, it was looking a little tenuous there in the second inning, but you know we're, that's still what we're doing. And, and that's got to be how you're looking at it right now. The odds are actually against them at this point, no matter how many times somebody tries to tell me that the, that they have control of their own destiny. In reality, they're kind of waiting to see, can the Twins beat up on the on the Guardians a little bit, and can they keep this role that they're on going? But at least you have something to cover, right? I put it this way. After the Diamondback series, I like started drafting a piece of like things to watch for now that the Sox are out of it. And, uh, you know, I didn't get that far into it, but we, we <laughs> I've looked at that draft a couple of times over the past few days. Uh, and for now, it's, uh, it's, it's still only about a hundred words written, but, uh, it, it could be possible or, or they could string things out long enough that it never sees the light of day. Well, Miguel Cairo coming along, Tony LaRusa having the health scare and Miguel Cairo getting in there is the thing that I did not have on my bingo card. And I didn't have it all of a sudden transforming this team. I mean, you wrote a great article a little while back here as this thing got going with Cairo at the helm, and I, and I loved it. It had quotes from some of the players about how they felt with him in there. What changed 
Is there something noticeable? What is the reason why this team is winning? Can you can you kind of fill people in? You don't have to give away your whole article because they should check it out on The Athletic. It's really good. But like, what do you see as the big difference with Miguel Cairo at the helm right now? It's sad because being a statistical-oriented person, it's not usually what I buy into. But the main difference that you provide is, you know, energy or more intervention or more kind of calling them out or stating their purpose or holding guys accountable, just going to the clubhouse and being more active and, and being more communicative uh, and more, being more collaborative with his assistant coaches in a way that, you know, wasn't really being done as the team kind of continued to be mediocre and continues to not perform up to its ability. Has that, has getting an extra conversation with the manager or knowing what the offensive plan is, does that just suddenly make them hit five home runs for a team that like would go weeks without any home runs? I wouldn't think so, but, you know, they, they've been a lot better under him. They've been a lot more motivated uh, under him. Now, at the same time, I could easily, you know, read off a player or have somebody say, you know, the reason we're playing better, and I had Kendall Graveman say it to me just yesterday, is that, you know, they're back up against the wall. That they're kind of this kind of desperate, energetic mode that we've seen from them is the byproduct of their situation as much as anything. Like, no one needs to tell them that they – uh, basically need to win out or, you know, go on, catch on fire and play their best baseball down the stretch to make the playoffs because that's what everyone's been saying about this team for, you know, months now. Uh, so it, it, there's a little bit of preponderance of things. They're a little bit healthier. Um, you know, certainly with LA kind of like uh, catching fire and being what he is, being healthy and getting on a rhythm, that, that's not purely just Miguel Cairo pressing a button. But uh, there, there's a confluence of things. And one of them was the fact that, like, they weren't really a well-managed team uh, going into the stretch, and now they look a little bit better. They at least have a a bit of a fault. You know, one of the things that I also noticed with uh, Miguel Cairo is that he's a little different in how he deploys his personnel. We've talked about it. A guy coming off an injury isn't all of a sudden guaranteed to move back into the two spot or the three spot or, you know, where he's going to wait and see if that guy can start hitting again. I haven't seen Leori Garcia leaned on as much as Tony liked to lean on him. And I don't like to pick on Larry. There, there are other instances, but it's the first thing that kind of pops into your head. There seems to be just a little bit different view of his personnel than what Tony had of his personnel. Do you, do you see that? And do you think if Tony all of a sudden comes back, which I, I can't even fathom right now, but he comes walking back in the door in a couple of days, would that all of a sudden put a stop to the way that this team is playing? I mean, I think it would, you know, at least personnel differences, I'd imagine we see them in some form. I mean, you point out Larry. Larry basically doesn't play anymore. Uh, I think he's done one start in the last nine or ten games. Inch runner, uh, defender. Obviously, with the way his season's gone, that's kind of what you would, you know, tag him for the he's, he's not someone who's, uh, I think you probably need to look in the offseason what he can do to overall his, uh, his offense because, you know, he's a bad just are very uh, something you can trust or put a lot of faith in right now. Now, part of that, and, you know, another thing he did is that he's um, been writing kind of Romy Gonzalez at second base a lot um, the, over Josh Harrison, kind of uh, riding a young player over a veteran situation now, like we see with Tony. And, you know, the Elvis Andrews, the leadoff slot move, as much as it kind of seemed like they were searching for a leadoff option with him out, that wasn't a move that happened until Cairo made it. It was the second game of his tenure, so, yeah, I have to credit to him as, as being part of the spark plug as well. Some of what Cairo's doing is a little bit of where the season is. I don't know. I mean, Tony's pretty stubborn, you know, in any situation, but I don't know if he'd be absolutely 
uh, you know, 20 games left in a playoff phase, fighting for your lives and still trying to rotate in Larry Garcia playing time. But Miguel has said he's not going to do that. I think fans get a little bit into a love of the idea of let's play our best lineup every single day because there's obvious reasons why you can't do that. And the more you do that, the more you make your bench players. It kind of becomes a self-fulfilling prophecy because your bench players never play them and they're not any good when you do play them. So it makes it seem even more like a bad idea to ever play them. But yeah, I, I think there's, there's, there's differences. I think ultimately he's making the calls. He, he said he's consulting Tony a little bit, but ultimately it's his decision, his lineup. And yeah, there's differences. And that's you give him credit for it. Our guest, James Fegan, and every guest of Socks in the Basement, brought to you by the Village of Lamont. Want to experience a downtown with real history, great eats and drinks, and green spaces filled with adventure? Visit the Village of Lamont, shop, dine, drink, and explore, and see all they have to offer and what's coming up soon, including the Oktoberfest at the Forge Quarries, where Socks in the Basement will be out there on the 24th of September. Get all the details, lamontdowntown.com. What do you think covering this team? And I'm sure speaking at times when you're doing interviews with a with a Tim Anderson, I'm excited that he's going to come back. He's a he's a good bat to have in your lineup. He's not had the greatest season this year, but he's still a very good player. He's going to end up playing shortstop. But when it comes to the lineup and when it comes to his use, is Tim the kind of guy that's going to be able to understand if his manager says, hey, we've got the top of the lineup rolling. Let's make sure that you're back with the bat after having this injury before we put you back in that spot. Or is he the kind of guy that's going to expect to walk in and be the leadoff guy? I think he'll probably expect a little bit. I wouldn't say he's like going to pout or anything, but I think the general tone is that he believes and he has been kind of the spark plug of this team and the leader of the team and the, you know, the emotional leader and the vocal like clubhouse holding other people accountable type guy. So I think he'd probably be taken a little surprised by not uh, betting Lee off and basically the way Miguel's talking about him. I wouldn't really expect him to have to, you know, sit for, for Elvis a little bit, but yeah, I, I think he would expect that. I think he, uh, you know, he takes pride in what he does and, and, and takes pride in the role that he has in this team. And, and especially for the first two months before he got hurt, and, you know, I heard a lot of guys, you know, coaches say that the groin injury is really what affected his numbers when he came back is that he still didn't have his leg. I think he feels if he's healthy, he's an elite hitter. And he, he really was for the first part of the season when they had very little else going outside of maybe Andrew Vaughn. So, I think he'd expect to come back. And I, I think some of the, the fact that Elks is already saying, you know, I'll play second, even though he's never played second in his career, is out of his knowledge of how, what the clubhouse hierarchy is and what he should expect is that, you know, yeah, you, you will have to move, you know, to accommodate the franchise as good as he's been, as, as, as experienced as he is in this time of year, as, you know, as vital as he's been to kind of turn around the season. I, I think Tim Anderson's going to be, you know, the face of the team the way he's been. Uh, for four years running now. All right, James Fegan from The Athletic, before I let you go, give me a prediction. I want to know what you think. Is Tony coming back before the season is over, or or are they going to keep him away until the offseason and then make a choice on him? It's hard to imagine the situation changing dramatically in um, you know a matter of, what, two and a half weeks to say, like, yeah, now it's suddenly a good idea with your pacemaker rewired to... Um, you know, do high stress management again. I, I don't feel like uh, cardiologists have really rough, uh, really quick return to play guidelines. Uh, in my experience, as a as a son of a physician, you know, heart issues are kind of taken very seriously and cautiously as far as returning to you know work and stress levels. So it'd be surprising that if they say they don't have clearance to do it now, that you know that would change. 
this quickly, this soon, um, and why force it this season in this way. Uh, and Tony's certainly cognizant of how much better they played in this current setup. Um, so I know he's still, you know, a prideful guy who you know, takes a lot of pride in what he does and what he provides. I don't think so, but this organization is weird, and it does weird things all the time, and it does needless things all the time. And, you know, that's exemplified by the fact that he was kind of hired by Jerry Reinsworth in the first place. So um, nothing would surprise me, uh, but I, I would say no is my prediction. That could be the slogan for the entire season. Chicago White Sox baseball. Nothing would surprise me at this point. James Fegan, thanks so much for joining us from The Athletic, and uh, we'll check in with you soon. Good luck with the rest of this season here. I hope they I hope they give you exactly what you're looking for after a long road of following uh, the White Sox in this really, really weird season that we've seen. The only thing I want for the White Sox is peace and serenity, and they will never grant it to me as long as I live. <laughs> Sox in the basement listeners, do the hard work. And if you're a hardworking man or woman on the South Side, you need to be outfitted properly. And that's why you should visit Red Wing Shoes in Evergreen Park, New Lenox, and Geneva. A work boot specialty store that carries sizes from 6 to 16 and feet as wide as 4E. A 115-year-old company that came out of Red Wing, Minnesota. And one of its largest stores in the entire Midwest is in Evergreen Park, Illinois, ever since 1976. When you're on your feet, the footwear is everything. So why not get an expert fitting? They warranty, repair, and offer free conditioning with laces. And they also carry Carhartt work clothing as well. Located at 3347 West 95th Street in Evergreen Park, Illinois, at 208 East Maple Street on Route 30 in New Lenox, or at 1749 South Randall Road in Geneva. Visit them today. You work hard. You've earned it. Red Wing Shoes. I wanted to read an email that we got, or it, it's on the contact form at SocksInTheBasement.com, Ed. And, and we, yeah, that counts as an email these days. Yeah, I'll take that. Okay. A message that was sent to us. Somebody jumped into our DMs, right? But it was through the page. They, they used the contact form. People reach out all the time on Twitter and on Facebook. And, and, and a lot of those are just people wanting to pick arguments with us. But this, this was a good one. And remember, you can also leave voice messages. We haven't gotten to them recently because every time somebody would leave a message in the last couple of weeks, by the time that the show rolled around three days later, the team was all of a sudden good. And then when they were celebrating the team, the team was bad again. And it just didn't make sense. But now I think we can go back to the voice messages because we all have something happening here. And it'd be interesting to get your thoughts on it. But Ari reached out and he mentions that he's listening 2,000 miles away. So right away, I'm trying to figure out where he is, right? Uh, but he was talking about what we brought up on the last episode about Tony LaRusa not coming back to the team would be perfect for the White Sox spin machine because you could really spin however the season ends in all kinds of different lights. And the only thing you couldn't spin is if you brought LaRusa back. And I'm not going to read the whole message, but he did point this out. Is it possible that the people who typically spin in the front office are in the process of spinning a semi-related narrative as we speak? This is the first time jobs are in jeopardy. Rick Hahn, at least, his first season really facing criticism from Sox fans. And we know that this franchise's front office is hypersensitive to fan criticism. He goes on to point out that having Tony La Russa around the team right now and not making this decision, even though we think it's a distraction, as Guillen's yelling it's a distraction on the TV show, what it does is it puts all the emphasis on Tony as the problem and takes the spotlight 
off of Rick Hahn, Kenny Williams, and the rest of the front office. For the moment. for the, It buys them a couple of weeks. That's <laughs> really all it does. It buys them until the end of the season because when we do the post-mortem on this thing, if they're in the playoffs, whatever, however far they go, you know, we'll, we'll dissect the season and, and we will go back and we will still look at the roster construction. We will still look at how the money was spent. We will still look at... We'll go back and look at all of that stuff, and Rick Hahn will be right in the middle of that, and Kenny Williams will be right in the middle of that. What they can do right now, though, is more, I think, what what you and I were talking about, and that is kind of spin it like, hey, this would have gone differently if, and then put it on Tony's health. But I don't think I don't think that they're having Tony hang around the team, and I don't think that they're holding this decision hostage because they think somehow fans are going to completely forgive and forget what's going on on the field and the players that could have been here but aren't, or the players that are here that are underperforming, unless they win the World Series and win it convincingly, there's not going to be any kind of quarter given to Rick Hahn for where this team sits. Hold on, let me get this straight. You put on the caveat that they have to win the World Series convincingly. Like, just winning it wouldn't be good enough if it went seven because it wasn't convincing enough. If he wins the World Series, everybody's sticking around for another decade or two. Okay, I mean, and you know what? I'll take it. I'll take it. I'll take all my hatred and shove it deep down into the 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 cockles of my of my heart, and, and just bury it and go to the parade and be happy. I, I they don't how need about, to win it convincingly. Maybe in the subcockle area, maybe even in the spleen. All right, but I like I, it's <laughs> it's kind of like that. I think that's kind of a crazy statement. They have to win it convincingly. Oh, and when I say let me let me clarify what I mean. By okay, that. I mean that they they win it because they won it. Okay. And not because of something freakish where, uh, you know, they went into a series against the Astros and all of a sudden all of their starters blew out an arm and couldn't go past the second inning or something like that. Or, you know, you, you get some sort of weird lucky baseball magic going on where everybody looks at it and goes, there's no way the White Sox should have won that series. Well, hold on no a second. Hold on a second. Isn't that, that. isn't that what happened throughout the entire 05 run? I mean, I know we were 11 and 1, and that's something that's only been duplicated once in all of baseball history. I thought that was pretty convincing, but yes, <laughs> Doug Eddings did do us a favor in one game. There okay? Were, there, 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 were a few things. there were a few things that happened. There were a few things from the Prasinski thing to the Canerco uh, coming up with the bases loaded, even though the ball hit Jermaine Dye's bat and they said it hit him in the hand, to uh, I, I want to say Roger Clemens just basically his body gave out on him. Like he was never going to pitch again in that series with the Astros. I mean, I. Hey, I, look, if they win the World Series, is good enough. I don't care how they do it. Really, I don't. I, if they win the World Series, all is forgiven. Otherwise, eh, heads roll. Because the, the team could have been a lot better this year. I, I, I'm not going to make a determination. In fact, let's be honest. It, it's unfair to sit there and say, you have to do this for me to change my mind about what was done poorly in the offseason and how the LaRusso situation was handled all year long. Let's see where it goes. And let's see how it finishes. And let's see what's said over the next month or two. And then we could sit there and say, okay, now we've got a good picture of it. This is what should happen. My question to you is, would you buy an argument from this front office in the offseason that because of the new rules banning the shift, that a lot of these underperforming ball players, let's just pick one like Yasmati Grandal at the plate this year, will be so much better now because you can't shift against them. So we don't need to make as many moves as you think we need to make. We can just trot this team back out there, new manager and the same people. There's no shift and we're going to steal a lot because stolen bases are going to go through the roof with these new rules that they have. Would you buy that, that they don't have to do very much? No, because the shift doesn't stop them from popping out lazily to right field. So, 
you know, there's that. You know, I, I don't know that I buy into the rule changes are going to cure what ails us because you still have the question of is Gavin Sheets or Andrew Vaughn really an outfielder? Is Aloy Jimenez really an outfielder? Aloy Jimenez is a DH no matter how much he doesn't like it. I love that quote the other day that he's unhappy. I don't care. Stand there and hit. That's your job. You're doing a great job at it. Don't go out in the field. And he is a fantastic hitter. Yeah. But it, you still don't necessarily know if you have a starting second baseman. You still don't necessarily know what to do about Yohan Moncada. Do you think that he's a guy that's going to benefit from the shift? But even though he's a switch hitter and hitting righty, you know, hitting lefty, it's it's not. It's been a mixed bag, both sides of the plate. Really, when we start to look back at this team, we're going to look at some of those things where there's some square pegs and round holes. Absolutely. And the thing that I take from this little run here with Miguel Cairo, yes, they could come back. The odds are still against them that they win the division. But if they do win the division, excitement, joy, you name it. And who knows where they go in the postseason. But if they fall short, the thing that I take is this little run with Cairo is a blessing because you got to see what these guys were like with somebody else in charge, pulling the strings having the meetings, getting them going, there's a difference. That's a gift that you would not have gotten if LaRusso would have finished out the year. You at least know there's an uptick depending on who's sitting on the bench and if that person is not Tony LaRusso. Now it's up to those same people that put the square pegs in the round holes to get out of their own way, stop being stubborn, look at that, and make the right decisions in the offseason whenever that occurs. Socks in the basement. Socks in the basement. Socks in the basement. Socks in the basement. Heard everywhere podcasts can be found and always on SocksInTheBasement.com.